0: history podcast. Uh, It's Casey here. Uh, Today we're continuing to shine a light on the fantastic work being done by BSSH postgraduate students. Um, And today we're speaking with Lauren Beattie. Uh, Lauren is a collaborative doctorate partnership PhD candidate, that's a mouthful, um, at Glasgow Caledonian University. um, And she's working with the Royal and Ancient World Golf Museum um, in collaboration. So Lauren's research focuses on the history of women playing golf and especially non-elite players. Uh, Thank you for joining us, Lauren.
1: Thank you for having me.
0: So, I mean, let's start off with that mouthful. Um, for those who kind of don't already know, what is a collaborative doctorate partnership and, and how does yours work?
1: Yeah, of course. Um, so, yeah, so it is a bit of a mouthful. Collaborative Doctorate Partnership, it's um, um a programme that's funded by the Arts and Humanities Research Council, the AHRC, um, and I am attached to the Sporting Heritage Consortium. Um, basically, it means that the PhD student is affiliated both to a university and a heritage organization. So, um, so it combines both academic and practical work. So um, for me, that means, um, as you said, Katie, I'm enrolled at Glasgow Caledonian University and I work in collaboration with the r a World Golf Museum in St. Andrews. Um, so I started off in January, 2020, So for the first three months, essentially, I was in the museum. So um, I was doing my research but from the museum, which means I was sort of, um, yeah, I was able to embed myself within the museum and the staff and the galleries and the the collections and the archives, which is really great. Obviously, the pandemic hit, so we were all moved. (laughs) Three months later, we were all moved home. Um, But I have been really fortunate in that I have been made very much a part of the museum um, and we've continued to collaborate um, online um, throughout the pandemic. Um, I was really fortunate in that I was able to um, contribute to the redevelopment of the galleries. So um, I was able to do some of the interpretation for the new um, so the, for the specifically for the women's golf sections in the gallery. so um, uh, some of the writing for that. So that was a really great opportunity um and yeah so i mean it's been it has been slightly impacted by the pandemic um normally i think i would have been in the museum more um but um um i have been allocated some extra funding which I'm happy to talk about, about later on, and um, to do a project. So that has come about as a result of the this the, this partnership kind of being um, affected somewhat by the pandemic. But I can talk a bit more about that later on.
0: Fab. Um, and what's great about these sorts of things, it does give you that experience, doesn't it, of working in a of having that museum kind of work alongside, obviously the the academic and the uh, the writing side of things as well. So, yeah, they sound. I mean, they sound like great uh, great things. Um, so tell us a little bit more about actually what you're researching and, and why it's why it's so important.
1: Yeah, so um, I'm looking at um, women's golf in Scotland um, at club level um, during the period 1945 to 1995. And I'm using oral history to uncover women's personal experiences of playing golf at this level. And um, and I'm particularly interested in the impact of gender, class, and stage of life cycle on women's um, participation in golf. Um, so far, I've undertaken 23 oral history interviews. Um, 21 were undertaken remotely um, on Microsoft Teams um, just because of the pandemic, obviously. And um, But more recently, I've managed to do two in-person ones, which has been fab. Um, and... Um, in order to, to do this, I first of all created a questionnaire, um, which I sent out to golf clubs and through social media um, and gave. So this was to, to give, um, you know, um, to give all participants a, an option to volunteer themselves as well for the oral history project. And I used the questionnaire to select my interviewees um, and did this based on sort of um, various criteria, looking at their golfing abilities so I wanted to make sure that I was speaking to women of varying um, handicaps not just all low handicap golfers but some higher handicap golfers and as well and um sort of um their location as well so trying to speak to women from the highlands the islands the borders which have been somewhat underrepresented in the existing historiography of women's golf um and um also just their experiences as well so they were given the opportunity to to you know put forward some of their their most memorable experiences so use them as well to select um participants as well for the project um and why is it? it's it's so important um because um women have been underrepresented in the history of golf in Scotland um, and the existing historiography has tended to focus on elite and pioneering um, upper class female golfers from the late 19th century um, and often from an international perspective as well. Um, although more recent historians like Gillian, um, sorry Jane George and Fiona Skillen have started to already um, address this, this gap. Um, but yeah, so, I, so yeah, I'm really interested in finding out why these women played golf you know what motivated them to play golf what challenges did they face and how did life sort of impact their participation in golf as they they you know progressed so so yeah that's that's in a nutshell kind of what my research is
0: i mean what i love about about your work is that um kind of not just focusing on elite golfers who tend to be the ones who get you know a lot more of the research so I guess why why do you think it is that no one's really kind of looked at um the kind of non-elite kind of recreational female golfers because that really hasn't been explored that much has it?
1: Yeah um no it hasn't and I think um I think it comes down a wee bit to the way that it's kind of evolved the sport's evolved so from like um bringing in class as well so Um, so when women really started taking up the game in the 19th century, it was mainly the middle and upper class women that were getting involved in this sport. Um, And it was for. um, So there was a there was a significant, significant class divide there. And it was for a a variety of reasons. Um, um, But um, club golf was um, in the 19th century was highly privatized. And um, so, and there wasn't a lot of municipal courses at all. So this municipal courses didn't really come in into existence until after the First World War. Um, and um, also, um, you you know, golf is a sport that required uh, quite a lot of money to play, especially at a club level, because you had the fees um, and um, not just money though but time as well so that excluded um the working classes because you know you needed a full day or whatever to play and if you're working that wouldn't have been um possible um but it wasn't only that but it was there was also like a um exclusivity as well about clubs as well so it was as much about you being part of this sort of social circle and you know you quite often had to be voted in to clubs and things like that so that had, I would think, had a sort of um, a, a part to play in the way that that the, obviously the sport developed and the way that it has been sort of studied from its development. So um, I think it's important as well to note that women were excellent organisers. So they they established their own um, ladies' golf union in um, 1893. And basically within a couple of months, they set up their, their first ladies' championship and they've got an extensive. Um, the museum has got the extensive LGU um, archive, so they've they've recorded everything from their inception, basically. And um, so, I think from that we see obviously that they were setting up championships and you were hearing a lot more about the women that were obviously performing well in these championships. And then you get the um, the periodicals as well. The popular golf periodicals are always showcasing, you know, the, the Scottish champion or, you know, the county champion, and you've got the fixtures lists and things. So it, I don't know if that answers your question, Katie, but there's a lot kind of... It is, um, it's just, yeah, it's clear that there is a focus on you know, the elite level players, both from a class point of view and from a sort of performance and ability as well.
0: Yeah. Um, uh, Yeah, I think sometimes it's kind of um, natural that you get kind of research goes to what's the kind of most obvious little bit. And then the kind of later along is the stuff that's a little bit less obvious. I mean, the class thing is, is really fascinating. I think you make a really good point that um, when it comes to, know we associate golf as being a bit of a middle upper class sport um so the fact that obviously you're looking at um kind of working class women and how they got involved is is really fascinating i think sometimes with women's sports as people i guess i found it in in my own research that people just assume things you know so in my my research people just assumed that women didn't really play american football so no one really looked at it much i think probably that happens a little bit with Especially with working class women and golf there's an assumption that well they probably didn't play very much so it hasn't really been looked at um so i think those sorts of things really play into into why research sometimes gets missed um but it's great because you'll filling in that gap so it's that's fine <laughs> um so kind of what what is your um early work shown So you've done quite a few uh oral histories now um are there any kind of common themes what are the kind of common experiences and kind of how and why were women playing and that sort of thing
1: yeah Um, So from a sort of motivation um, standpoint, a lot of the women played from childhood um, with the support of a parent or a grandparent. Now, this has been echoed in sort of earlier work and it was something that I was really interested in finding out whether this was a continuation in the period that I'm looking at. And it seems that it is, that very much so. um, The majority, not all, but the majority of women who play golf... Um, have age from tight childhood or teenage um, years um, and um, there was a although um, some perhaps took up the game in later life there was a common sort of shared view that there is important to have someone who plays golf introduce you so if it was from a childhood it's quite often a parent or a grandparent um, later on in life, it's sometimes a, a husband or you know a partner um or um um a friend that plays that to introduce you to the game. So um that's that's coming through a lot. Um and um yeah um other things sort of like asking about what they I'm really keen to obviously find out what they enjoy most about golf, you know what it is that really gets them playing golf and and um sort of common themes are the social side you know as much you know having a, a chat with the, the you know their friends as they go around and go into the clubhouse after that's a big part and um, the fresh air and um, the exercise the the sort of the well-being side of it as well you know being able to escape the world around them a lot of People reference that, you know, that when they're on the golf course, they're away from work, they're away from their phones, they're away from everything. And they can just play golf and be outside Um, other um, I think um the competitive side as well. A lot of really competitive women. Um, and it's great to see, you know, they're just so passionate. I think that's what's come across the most through this is just how much these women love golf they're so passionate about it and it's so nice to see um other things is um obviously focusing on life stage of life cycle so um asking you know finding out whether you know maybe if having children has had an impact on their participation and women that have had children have said that um they have either had to take a break from playing golf when children are small or they've had to rely on the support of a partner or, you know, um, a parent to, to look after the children to enable them to play golf um, and work as well. Um so um, quite a lot of the majority, I would say, um, admitted to that their that working full-time has impacted their participation in golf you know making it difficult to get tea times and um, because at some clubs you know there's restricted hours for when women can play still so that has had an impact on their participation and also um but however there were other women that through the nature of their work um quite a lot some women that work actually in golf administration or in the sort of sporting um sector and have through that been able to have more flexibility to play golf and actually said no I've been really fortunate I've not had any problem so it is very much mixed but I'm really keen to explore that further and find out you know you know how women's participation was impacted just by different stages of their life and things because I think that's something that's not been looked at um so much in golf so it's really important to bring that out um, so yeah so that's um that's some of the the sort of things I'm finding so far did
0: did many of them experience kind of negative reactions to them playing golf from anyone I suppose
1: um yes yeah, so there was some challenges um I should say the majority of challenges um are sort of you know the game itself you know can be a real challenge or you know be it held in administrative roles like being ladies captain you know stressful or county captain Um yeah the stress of that has been a challenge Um yeah there has been there's some women that have outrightly said that they have faced challenges based on their gender Um, um I had one interviewee who said that her only um, her only challenge was men and the attitude that they often have towards women so that hit me um, and made me you know think oh wow you know um this particular interviewee was so appalled with the way that um women were treated in golf clubs in the mid- 70s that she actually she was a teenager at the time and she took it upon herself to do a questionnaire and send it around golf clubs and she said in her interview that unfortunately she feels that things haven't changed much since then um so that's sad and you know, It's not a nice thing to hear and makes us realize, you know, that there is still this element of discrimination there in golf clubs. Although I must say that that hasn't been voiced strongly in interviews, and that that's just been a few women that have given me some indication of there being, um, you know, having. um, There was another um, interviewee that was when she was a a junior, had a a moment where. she was supposed to play with a, a boy in a competition, and the the father didn't like that um, her his daughter, his son was going to have to play with a girl in the in the the competition. And luckily, her club supported her and said, you know, well, he needs to play with her or thing and it was all fine in the end and they actually played really well together and it all worked out but there's little bits like that that are coming through to suggest that you know there is an there is still an element of that sort of discrimination and gender impact in women's participation in golf but I will strongly stress that it's not across the board and it is a few occurrences here and there but it is something that obviously I'm addressing in this work
0: it's good it's good to hear that actually it's not um it's not a major theme. you know it isn't you know the the primary reaction is that you know these women have played golf have loved golf and have been able to play you know without kind of concern are there many differences between the experiences between the the classes i suppose obviously we've mentioned that the working class women the tea times was clearly um you know working out around work was a significant issue but are there any kind of glaring things that are different between the the, the women from different um,
1: classes? I would say not really um I think um so only a few interviewees have claimed to outrightly be yeah. middle class um actually sorry it was only a I'll reword that it was actually only one only one of my interviewees has said that they were middle class and had a middle class background and they felt that their experiences were a reflection of that but everyone no one else has really um passed comment too much on on that however um I think my research is, is demonstrating so far through the oral histories that whilst golf is still um considered an expensive sport Um, in a lot of ways, um, that the sort of social exclusivity, if you like, of the club is not as evident as it was in the early sort of 20th century. Um, And I get the impression from interviews um, that women made the most of what they had. So I did have some nice stories of women playing with cut-down clubs and um another woman who played with um our um our, her golf bag was made by her mother out of a leg of our father's jeans, which I thought was amazing. Uh yeah. And so, and you know, women playing with, like I say, cut-down clubs and sharing clubs with their brothers and and you know, really just making the most of what they had and There were, you know, women that played, started off playing on pay and play courses um, and municipal courses and then became members later of private clubs. The majority of my interviews, uh, interviewees, sorry, are members of private golf clubs. Um, And I think that's kind of representative or reflective of the fact that there are more private golf clubs than municipal. um, And what was because I I mean I asked them you know why 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 are you a member of that particular club and the reasons that were coming out were you know oh because it's only five minutes away or you know or that's the club that I've always gone to my family you know my parents went to that golf club so I've always gone there so it was never you know those are the sort of reasons why women are choosing these golf clubs and um, so yeah and and each interviewee I don't think any of them have really or the majority certainly have because I always ask how accessible have you found golf to be for yourself and the majority have said very accessible you know it's not been a problem so I get the impression that you know that women just you know they wanted to play golf and they've, they've made that happen sort of thing and, and they've worked with what they've had really yeah
0: I think that's great because I still think you know there is this perception about golf from. And- the kind of sport it is so I think your research not only is going to fill that gap but it's got the opportunity to inspire women who didn't think that necessary sport that golf was an accessible sport for them you know they can see these examples of women who've um perhaps are you know a bit more like them who've been able to play golf um so I think it's got you know it could really play that role in kind of inspiring women for, across all kind of classes to to get involved with the sport maybe change the mm-hmm. perception of, of golf a little bit um so you've I mean it's been quite noticeable you've been doing a lot of speaking recently at online uh, and in-person conferences um how have you found it do you find it really helpful for your work
1: yeah absolutely yeah so i've um so yeah so i presented my first conference was um at nash um north american society for sports history and that was earlier this year in may um and that was online because of the pandemic um, and that was great Um, I was so nervous because it was my first time and um, um, but it was it was really great and everyone was really supportive and I got some really great feedback and then later um, in the year in August I was down as you know at um, BSSH and um, that was great I absolutely loved that it was great to have the opportunity to do that in person and met some really just great people and it was so great to be able to network and and you know get you know be inspired by the other research that's going on and and just um encouraged as well so so supportive um and the writing workshop as well that you that you led Katie was great and it was so great to be part of that and get some really really great feedback and I, I would just really um I would just highly recommend both um com- PhD students and oh, hello, um, you know researchers um, to attend oh sorry
0: <laughs> no no I think it's my computer um yeah sorry just, just finish what you were saying about the benefits of, going yeah. kind of conferences
1: no I just think that they're great and I would highly recommend the um both BSSH and the um North American Society for Sports History as well Nash um because they are really really supportive and um I, yeah I just found both great experiences and I've also done um, a couple recently with um, my supervisor so we did uh, um, Fiona Skillen um, is my director of studies and we've been co-authoring an article on women's golf fashion at the moment and so we did a, a, a fashion conference it was a tailoring conference um, earlier this year uh, sorry uh, earlier in, in September sorry there and um, that was uh, that was great as well and um, a different sort of conference and it was they were all really supportive as well and um we also um did um a, a talk at the um the ne. World Golf Museum as well. It was held online, but um for sporting National Sporting Heritage Day as well. And that was another fashion paper. Um so yeah, it's been great. It's been great for me because it, before doing this, um, the PhD, I haven't presented at any conferences or really done a lot of talks, and I can feel my confidence just building as, you know, as I go on with these. Yeah. And it's as much just the meeting the people as well. It's just been great. So yeah,
0: good. I love the fact you did like fashion conferences because sometimes we can get a little bit stuck into just kind of doing sports history conferences. But so much of the research that that people are doing fits into all sorts of other places. And I guess one of the benefits of online conferences is that you know people are able to maybe present it more than they would normally be able to, and kind of move out of sports history and look at kind of where your research fits in other in other areas. And obviously, in your case, in the in fashion. so kind of obviously that's a great piece of advice for um for postgrads and um you know to get out there and start and start speaking about your research because like you say it opens up networks and things like that in terms of advice you know a big thing is obviously you've done quite a lot your research has a real strong focus on oral history um, and obviously it's really important to what you're doing to kind of understand uh women's experiences um have you got any advice for anyone who's thinking about doing oral histories because it's a it's an area that you know a lot of people are doing them, but some people are a little bit worried about.
1: Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. I would, yeah, I would say go for it for a start because it's great. I mean, I've thoroughly enjoyed doing mine. Um, I think it's been like the best part, one of the best parts of my research so far. I absolutely love doing them. Um, I would highly recommend doing an induction, introduction, sorry, to oral history. Sort of training course. Um, There's one that the Oral History Society does, which I've heard is um, brilliant. And the actually Oral History Society as well. If you can join that, I would highly recommend because they've just got some really great resources, online resources as well. Um, If you're based in Scotland, like I am, I did the um, Scottish Centre for Oral History at Strathclyde University. Their induction course, and that was fantastic. Um, So yeah, if you, if I would say, if you can get onto one of these courses. Um, to to do that because they really do just cover everything and give you a really good sort of introduction to 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 doing oral histories and to recording and the equipment that you use and all that sort of stuff. So, um, yeah, so that would be my first point. Um, reach out to other people. It is a growing area of it's a sort of growing field you know it's it's getting used more and more in all diff all different disciplines and so I would say just reach out to people that are are doing um oral histories um and um just um read there's lots of great literature on oral histories Um I joined a reading um group an online reading group um Leicester University um online reading group and uh so i do that um every month i go along and we we meet and and you know so yeah just yeah that's that's a few things that i would um i would recommend and just to to do it because it's great it's a great it's a great um yeah form of research Fab.
0: um and obviously your research has already has already been used as part of the 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 fabulous Iron Women documentary. Um, how did that experience kind of come about and what was it like to be involved in, in a project like that?
1: Yeah, um, oh, it was great. So um, my supervisor, Fiona Skillen, she got um she was approached by the director of Purple TV, Margot McQuaig, um, and um Margot asked if Fiona, myself, and my supervisor at the RNA World Golf Museum, Hannah, Hannah Fleming, if um, we would all like to be involved in the, the documentary and of course we all said yes um and uh so i was asked to do some background research on um the development of women's golf in scotland um so i did that and, and then also then provided her with a list of possible interviewees for the documentary so um used the contacts that i had already been making um i suppose for my own research i sort of provisionally interviewed these women um and then passed the findings on to Margot, and then she interviewed them for the documentary um so it was a great experience it was really it was and it couldn't have come at a better time because it was like right in the middle of the pandemic as well so it was just great to be able to get involved in that and I was really fortunate as well that Margot let me sit in um, and on the interviews as they were getting filmed as well for the documentary so that was a great privilege as well so it was great really great.
0: Yeah and it's a great documentary for anyone who hasn't watched it I can highly recommend um, Catching Iron Women. Um, so you mentioned kind of earlier that because of the pandemic you know you weren't in the in the museum quite as much so you, you've recently got some funding to, to do a six-month placement um, at the Royal and Ancient World Golf Museum uh, what are you going to be doing as part of that project?
1: yeah so um i've been really fortunate and i have received an extra six months funding so from january i'll be based at the museum and i'm going to be digitizing some of the ladies golf union photographs and getting them um making them more accessible museum has a really like a, a large collection of um the of uh, fo- photographs and it is a time-consuming a really sort of time consuming process so they haven't all been digitized yet so that's what i'm going to be working on is trying to get them more digitized and um yeah it'll be hugely beneficial to the museum and also to my own research as well so and it'll just be great to be honest i'm just so looking forward to getting back into the museum um, uh i've volunteered and worked in museums before doing my phd so and i have really missed that part of the the PhD just with the pandemic. So it'll be really, really nice to to be back and working more closely with the museum team again. So
0: fab. I know what you mean. I've um I've only recently started volunteering at um at a museum. Um in my case it's one all about motor racing, but there's something special about being in those places around kind of all that history. Um it's just yeah, it's always really exciting to to do. And it, it inspires you to do even more research um as well, because you you find all these sorts of things. Um Anyway, thank you so much, Lauren, for chatting with us. Um, good luck with the rest of your research. Enjoy your placement. Um, and I'm sure, well, I can't wait to read your, your kind of final PhD and all the other fabulous research that comes comes out from it. So thanks very much for joining us.
1: Well, thank you for having me. It's been great speaking to you today.
0: Um, So, just a reminder folks that there is a BSSH uh, postgrad and ECR Facebook page, um, which is basically designed to share good news, ask advice, um, ask any questions. Um, It's actually open to all BSSH members, so basically the idea is that then there's lots of people to help provide advice or raise awareness of events, funding, anything like that. Um, And remember there's also the new playing Past prize that's open to postgrad and ECR members uh, and plenty of other funding opportunities, Uh, so check out the website for more details. Um, and I shall endeavour to bring you more fabulous research from our postgrad and ECRs um, in the near future. Thanks for listening.